0: Proverbs chapter 4. As you guys are getting to your seats, let's have a word of prayer. As we get ready here, Lord, we just thank you for teaching this. We thank you for writing this. We pray your Holy Spirit would lead and direct into all truth. We are here to learn more of you, to grow deeper in you, to see the body of Christ equipped to serve you. And Lord, for your glory. We are here for your glory in all things. In your name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 4. Now, this is our continuing our study here through the book of Proverbs. And I just want to remind you of a few points that we've made as we've gone through the book of Proverbs. Please remember the purpose of Proverbs is to teach you practical, godly living. There's not a lot of deep theology in this book. There's not end times in this book. It is to teach you practical, godly living on how to go out and live as a Christian in this world. We're trying to live godly lives in an ungodly world. How do we do that? Proverbs teaches us this. Please remember these words, wisdom, knowledge, understanding that are used repeatedly through this book. We define wisdom as God's way of thinking. There are many people in this world that have a lot of wisdom. They have a lot of letters after their name. But it doesn't mean they have godly wisdom. We're looking for godly wisdom. Knowledge, God's way of doing it. There's many people in this world that are very intelligent that know how to do a lot of things but we're looking for God's way of doing it and lastly understanding God's way of applying it. All these three go together so often in this book this idea of wisdom, knowledge and understanding God wants us to think his way do it his way then apply it his way. And this is an ongoing theme that you see throughout this book. Please remember, once again, this is written by Solomon. Solomon is kind of writing this to his kids. It's a great book. If you have kids at home, grandkids, or any type of child that you can influence, great book to do that. If you do not have any kids in your life to influence, this is still a wonderful book because it's a picture of God the Father speaking to us as well, saying, this is wisdom in this world, go walk in it. We're trying to live godly lives in an ungodly world, and this book of Proverbs teaches us good, godly, practical advice. So with that being said, we are into Proverbs chapter 4. Now I need to tell you this with this lesson. This lesson, as I was going through it, it's, it's almost too simple. And when I say by it's too simple, there's nothing deep in this lesson. Once again, there's no deep theology, there's no deep end times. This is just how to go out and do it. And we have a tendency, and I've seen this over the years that I've been teaching. When you have a lesson that is actually fairly simple, we sit there and say, Oh, I already know this. Oh, I've already heard this. That's the problem, is we know it, we've heard it, but are we applying it? There's a reason why throughout the entire Bible, God keeps reminding us to love everyone. Because we need to keep hearing it again, and again, and again. A lot of these points that you're going to hear this morning, you've heard before. But the question comes up, are we taking it, learning it, applying it, and putting it into our daily life? So I hope as you go through this, and you hear this, you stop and you say, okay, that's a question I need to ask myself. That's why we're finishing with communion here. Communion is a wonderful time to go before the Lord. And it says in Corinthians that we're supposed to examine ourselves before we take of communion. To really stop and say, Lord, search me and try me. Is there any iniquity in me and lead me in the way of everlasting? It's a time to really stop and say, Lord, I give you the glory. Because even though in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You still want to move in my life. You still want to work in my life. And to you be the glory, Lord. And that's what we're going to partake of here as we end. So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, my children. The instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, do not forsake my law. My children, once again, Solomon writing to his kids. You see this ongoing theme, verse 10. You see my son, verse 20. My son, over 20 times in the book of Proverbs, you see this admonition of my son. As a parent, he's trying to tell his kids, listen. And what's the instruction I'm going to give you? Instruction of a father, give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. I'm going to give you God's word. Now think about that for a second. Parents, grandparents, anybody that has influence over any type of a generation coming up, I don't care how old they are or not, the best thing you could do is influence them in God's word. Teach them the fear of the Lord. Teach them the glory of the Lord. Teach them God's word. What a wonderful blessing that is. Because the flip side of that, to not teach them, that's a shame. Proverbs 29:15 says this, "...the rod and rebuke give wisdom." But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Think about that. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You see, a lot of times in this world today, children left to themselves. There's no organization. There's no home unit trying to raise them in a godly way. They're left to themselves. And we wonder why the world is falling apart. You know, over the years that we've been doing this, we've run into a lot of families. And we've run into a lot of parents sometimes that have left the child to themselves for their raising. I remember years ago, it was probably 15, 20 years ago, Don and I went and did a visit with a gal. Uh, fairly new to the area, fairly new to the church. She was a very, very unique woman. Uh, she had one child who was a very, very unique child. And uh, by unique, you know what I mean. But she was very unique. God loves her, but she was very unique. The child's very unique. So we went over to their house. And this kid's probably about a year and a half at this time. This kid's just out of control. I mean, it's a child run home. Just completely, utterly out of control. And so we're sitting there trying to talk to her and just try to say, hey, you know, order. And, you know, in God's way, discipline, whatever. I mean, the, to the point, and, and I'm not making this up. She used to live out in California. She moved to Ohio because she felt her child wanted to. The kid was under two years old. There were some issues going on here, I'm telling you. It was a child run home. And so what happens is there was no order. There was no nothing. This was a child left to themselves. And there's been other times throughout the years where I have talked to parents in numerous conversations where they'll say things like, I'm leaving it up to my child to decide their future. I'm leaving it up to my child to understand the things and choose their own path, etc. Listen, I'm not going to try to brainwash my children, but I'm going to sure teach them the biblical truth of Jesus Christ. I'm going to teach them He's the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. I'm going to teach them God's Word. I'm going to show them that path. And I hope I set that example, and I hope they choose to walk on that. But to go to the extreme... To be able to say, all things are equal, you choose what most blesses you? No. Here's an analogy I use a lot of times when I run into a parent like that. I'll stop and ask them this. If you had a young child, would you let them go out to your garage and drink any liquid they find out there? They always say, no. I said, why not? Because certain ones are dangerous, they say. It's the same thing with the quote-unquote religions of this world. Certain ones are dangerous. We point our children towards truth. And that's why Proverbs 4 is trying to tell us here, my child, the instruction of a father, give attention to no understanding. I give you good doctrine. I'm pointing you in the right direction. And we hope and pray they have ears to hear, to listen, to understand it what happens next. Verse 3. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one on the side of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, stop right there. This is a neat little verse if you catch this. Solomon is telling us now the story of growing up with David. So what David is going to say here, excuse me, what Solomon's going to say is actually a quote from David. Verse 3. I was my father's son, he's talking about his dad David, tender and the only one on the side of my mother, which would have been Bathsheba. This is a neat little glimpse And to how David raised Solomon that we don't get in the books of Samuel or Kings or anything like that. So as we get ready to read this, remember Solomon is now repeating the lessons his dad David, the greatest king of Israel, taught him at a young child while sitting with his mother Bathsheba. Verse 4, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor. When you embrace her, she will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. The words of David to Solomon. I love it when the Bible takes something that we deem complicated and make it very simple. Using the example of Jesus, there's a great passage in Corinthians where Paul talks about the simplicity of Jesus. There's one way to get to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. I love that. I love it right here. He says in verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and all you're getting, get understanding. He sums it up straightforward. The most important thing is to get godly wisdom. Because when you have godly wisdom, then you know what the Lord wants you to do. That's the principal thing, the most important thing. Anytime life gets too crazy for me, and I'm getting pulled in a lot of different directions, I stop, I pray, I remind myself. James says that I'm just a vapor, I'm a morning fog that appears for a while, then disappears. Lord, what's the most important thing that you want me to do today? Then let's just do the most important thing. If wisdom is the principal thing, then that's what I need to focus on. Lord, I want godly wisdom. And that, it's an interesting word in the Hebrew there for wisdom is the principal thing. That's the same word used in Genesis 1.1 where it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So just as Genesis 1.1 talks about the beginning, Solomon is saying in verse 7, wisdom is the beginning. That's everything. If you can get God the wisdom now, what a blessing that is. And not only get it, verse 4, let your heart retain it. Cling to it, hold tightly to it, hold fast to it. Just don't hear it, just don't mark the verse, just don't memorize the scripture. Say, I want to apply it in my life and all that I say and do. Godly wisdom, retain it, take hold of it. What's the flip side of retaining and taking hold of it? Well, take a look here at verse 5. You can forget it, verse 6, you can forsake it. You either retain it, or you forget it, or you forsake it. Look back on your life. Look back on the worst decisions you've ever made. Were you retaining wisdom at that time? Or were you forgetting it and forsaking it? Look back on your disappointments in life. Now, granted, God works good in all things for those that are called to him, for believers. But yet, if you look back on your life on decisions that you've made that you look at now and say, I don't know what I was thinking. Were you retaining wisdom or were you forgetting it and forsaking it? I'm willing to bet you were forgetting it and you were forsaking it. That's why Solomon is telling us it is the principal thing. I will repeat again, this message this morning is almost too simple. Because you're sitting here saying, I get that. I'm not going to disagree. But do we really get it? Do we retain it? Do we understand it? Do we, verse 8, exalt her? Do we promote it? Do we let it bring honor to our lives? Because it is truly the most important thing. Wisdom is God's way of thinking. And Lord, I want to think your way. Anytime someone calls me or they say, hey, pastor, i got a quick question for you, I do a one-word prayer, and it's just wisdom. Because at that point, I'm realizing, Lord, I need wisdom. I don't know what to answer. I don't know what they're going to ask. I don't know what it's going to be. Lord, I want wisdom. i got a list on my weekly prayer list of uh, situations and people that I know I'm going to run into. I don't know when I'm going to run into them. I don't know when the conversation is going to happen. But I know it's going to happen sometime. And I'm already in prayer now for those individuals in those situations to have wisdom. So when the conversation comes, I'm prayed up and I'm ready because I don't know what to do. I don't want to forget it. I don't want to forsake it. I want to retain it. It's the principal thing. I want to learn this. I want to hold on to it. And I want it to exalt it. Because that's what comes down to in life is the most important thing. What happens when you retain wisdom? You hold fast to it. Well, you're blessed. Look at verse 10. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. If you're a note taker or if you just like to see the theme of things develop, note verse 13, life. Keep that word in the back of your mind. We're going to build on what life is. When you walk in wisdom, verse 11, you're on the right path. Verse 12, your steps are not hindered. You do not stumble. In other places in the Bible, it talks about how God makes your path broad. You're not walking this narrow little cliff of rocks and crevices and afraid of falling and stumbling because you're walking in wisdom. And it's this idea of a safe, broad path that God says, I will keep you safe on. Think back again to the decisions we made in life that were not done in wisdom, where we forgot wisdom, where we forsaked wisdom. That was not the broad path that kept me from stumbling. I got myself into a lot of trouble, and it wasn't worth it. When I walk in wisdom, I know the path will be safe. That's if I retain it. What happens if I forget wisdom or forsake wisdom? Verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil. And their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. What's the opposite of retaining wisdom? 14. Entering the path of the wicked. Walking in the way of evil. That's, what am I supposed to do? 15. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. I've talked to a lot of guys over the years that maybe have struggled with drinking. One of the things that they will say is this. They reach a point where they stop and say they can't even walk down the aisle at Walmart. It's just not worth it. They walk down that aisle. It's not worth it. That is the path of wickedness to them. That's the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. I know other guys that have gotten rid of a satellite in their house because there's a lot of stations beamed into their house that they didn't want and they couldn't handle. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. I know guys that put internet filters on their computer. There's a lot of junk out there. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. So you got to remember, when the Bible teaches us about sin and temptation, my flesh wants to be strong. I want to feel I'm powerful. I want to say that I can look that temptation in the eye. And I want to say to it, I'm dead. You don't tempt me. Problem is, I'm spiritually understanding the theology of that I am dead. Romans 6. I still got a lot of life in this flesh. And this life and this flesh likes to sin. That's why Hebrews calls it the passing pleasures of sin. That's why the Lord teaches us in the Bible, when faced with sin and temptation, we're supposed to run. We're supposed to flee. The wisest thing I can do sometimes, when faced with the way of evil, the path of the wicked, is run from it. Now that may not look very courageous to the world, but it's the most spiritually courageous thing I could ever do. I say, Lord, I don't want to be near it. Keep your hand here. Go with me to Psalm 1 real quick, please. Psalm 1. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Psalm 1, please. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Please note the progression right there. He's walking, then he's standing, then he's sitting. That's a dangerous place. Oh, I can walk by it. It won't tempt me. Next thing, I'm standing there looking at it. Next thing, I'm pulling up a chair and say, I'll just sit right here and enjoy this. It's a dangerous progression. Walking, standing, Sitting. This is why Proverbs says, do not enter the path of the wicked, do not walk in the way of evil, avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it and pass on. Some of the greatest advice you could give anybody, I don't care if you got kids at home, grandkids at home, co-workers, friends, family members. If it's a path of evil, don't go. Now once again, that's a simple point. Don't you love the fact that the Bible teaches us very simply? I remember hearing as a young Christian one time, simply teach the word of God simply. I love that. If you have something in your life right now that is bringing you down, it's a a path of wickedness, it's a way of evil, avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. This is once again why we're also having communion today. I want to give God the glory for what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our sins. But I also want to stop and say, as it says in Corinthians, let us examine ourselves. Because there's times where we need to stop and say, Lord, there is a path, there's a way, I'm getting caught up in it, forgive me. That's not what I want. What is the path I'm supposed to be on? 18, chapter 4, please, of Proverbs. The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Please note once again 18, you're retaining wisdom. 19, you're forsaking and forgetting wisdom. What happens when you attain wisdom in verse 18? You hold close to it. The sun shines ever brighter until the perfect day. It's just more and more light. That's an ongoing theme throughout the Bible. This world is darkness. And our job is to come and shine the light of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ into this darkness. That's what we're supposed to do. You work in darkness, you live in darkness, there's darkness all around, you get to represent light. And as you walk in that light, it's the shining sun, verse 18, but it gets brighter and brighter. Sad part is, I see so many believers, as life goes on and it gets harder, be it physically, emotionally, or spiritually, they get dimmer and dimmer. It's supposed to be the other way around. We go out in the blaze of glory. Glory. We realize we're closer to the end than we were to the beginning. We think of Paul where he said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. Finally there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness. Paul said, I poured out my life as a drink offering. And I, and I remember I've taught you before about drink offerings in the Old Testament. You would take something, usually wine, and you would take it and you would dump it on the altar or on the ground. And as you would dump it on the ground and altar, it was a very valuable mixture. And you would stop and you say, this is like my life being poured out for the Lord. If I would take my cup of water right here and I would dump this on the ground, the water's lost. It is completely, utterly lost, given over. So when I say my life is poured out like a drink offering, Lord, I have so given you my life, I've disappeared. And I just want to shine brighter and brighter into the perfect day. I, I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I'm just asking you, are you getting brighter toward the end or are you getting dimmer towards the end? You want to get brighter. What's the flip side? 19. Darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. I never used to get this. People would come into the office, they'd want to talk, and they got themselves in this mess. And I would say, what happened? What happened to get you here? And they would stop and say, I don't know. Now, if you've ever come and talked to me before, you know there's two answers I will not accept. I don't know and because. I just don't accept them. You have a reason for what you did. Let's try to figure this out. So, what made you get to this point? And they would say, I don't know. And I look at 19, and I realize they do not know what makes them stumble. They're in such utter darkness sometimes. They don't even realize how dark their life is. It's like walking through a room of complete darkness, and you keep hitting your foot on something. And somebody says, what are you hitting your foot on? I don't know. I'm full of darkness. I can't even see. So what do we do as believers? We come into the darkness, verse 18, and I shine the ever brighter, unto the perfect day, Son of Jesus Christ on him. Now, if you've ever been in a completely dark room at 2 o'clock in the morning and somebody comes in and flips the lights on and says, Jesus loves you, you don't care at that point that Jesus loves you. You, you grab something, you cover your face, you tell them to shut the lights off, you don't want to see the light. Sometimes people don't want to see the light, Folks. It says in the book of John that men love darkness. And so, since they love darkness, they want to walk in darkness. They don't know what's making them stumble because they're so full of darkness. That's why it's our job and responsibility to shine the light. Because sometimes they want to see it. No. Now, don't take this teaching the wrong way and say, Well, I guess I'm not supposed to shine the light. No, shine the light. They may not want it, but it's our responsibility to do it. Because we're getting brighter, verse 18, as we get to the end. In verse 19, the world is getting darker. Men love darkness. But we want to represent Christ. So are we retaining wisdom? Are we forgetting and forsaking wisdom? Now, if you remember correctly, I told you to remember back in 13, the idea of life. Here's our final point. We want the life that God has for us. And true life through Christ. 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are, here's our word, life to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of, there's our word again, life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, put out perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. So now we get to the last part here. What is wisdom? God's way of thinking. What am I supposed to take with this wisdom? 21, it's supposed to be in my heart. 23, it's supposed to be in my heart. Not just talked about, not just marked, not just underlined. It's who I am, it's my life, it's my heart. It is everything, and it's my life. Remember what Jesus summed up the greatest commandment, he took 613 rules and regulations in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and he said the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's all he wants. He wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, he has your life. That's why you're supposed to, in 21, keep it in the midst of your heart. That's why in 23, you're supposed to keep your heart with all diligence. It's life. Go with me to Matthew 12, please. How do we know what our heart's like? See, this is an interesting study. How do we know what our heart's like? Because we run into people. And we run into people that aren't good people to be around. They're not fun people to be around. They're not nice people to be around. And then you run into someone who likes this person and they stop and say, Oh, I know their heart. They're really a good person deep down inside. You just got to get past the bitterness and the anger and the frustration. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know the heart? I alone, the Lord, know the heart. God's the only one that knows the heart. I can even fool my own heart into thinking that I'm being productive and good and helpful and take my advice, take my counsel, take my love, and really, it's not. It's pride, it's arrogance, it's whatever. The Lord knows our heart. And that's why it's important to go to the Lord and say, Lord, you shine into my heart. Psalm 139, search me and try me, know me, see if there's any iniquity in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So how are we supposed to know then? What's a good way to know what your heart's really like? See what people talk about. What do they like to talk about? If people like to talk about themselves all the time, you know what's in their heart, themselves. If people like to talk about work all the time, you know it's where they find their identity, their work. If people like to talk about their family all the time, you know, that's where their identity is, their family. Now, you may stop and say some of those things aren't wrong. What's wrong, like, for example, with family? Nothing's wrong with family. I love Dawn more than anything else in this world. I love my boys. I love my family. But I love Jesus Christ most. And if I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I've got to make sure he's number one. Sometimes you can worship at the altar of family, where you can make your family the most important thing. You may say, well, that's a good thing. It is a good thing. But you want Christ to be the most important thing. How do we know what's in our heart? Matthew chapter 12, please. Verse 34. Brood of vipers. Man, I have been teaching for 22 years and I've always wanted to start a message out with brood of vipers. It just—it hasn't happened yet, but it's coming one week. I just know it is. Brood of vipers. How can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Our words reveal our heart. Our words shine a light right into our heart to know what's important to us. What do we like to talk about? Ourselves, our work, our family. What excites us? The idea of sports excites us. Money excites us. Completing a project excites us. Or is it the Word? Is it the Lord? Our words reveal our heart. Take a look again at 34. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and your words you will be condemned. Words reveal our heart. Let's build on this. Same book, Matthew 15, please. Proverbs 4 is teaching us the heart. The heart wants wisdom. Proverbs 4 is teaching us the heart is life. Jesus says, yes, your heart reveals. Where is your life? What is it focused on? Take a look at Matthew 15, verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. Those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. The heart, once again, reveals. Is revealed by our words. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Jesus is saying, your words reveal you. Proverbs goes one step further. A great verse in Proverbs 27. It says this, as in water, face reflects face. So when I look at the water, we see our reflection. So a man's heart reveals the man. A man's heart reveals who you are, and it's revealed through our words. That's why it is so vital, going back to Proverbs chapter 4 right now, that we keep them in the midst of our heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. And why does it say with all diligence? 23. This is hard. You know, one of the things that Dawn likes to do with the boys, she likes to take a word and then teach them that word. Obedience, diligence. Find the verses. And she's got this um, devotional she does with them to teach them what diligence means, to teach them what obedience means. I find it interesting in 23 that God is telling us to keep your heart with all diligence. It takes work to keep your heart in the Lord. Now, Now, please don't think I'm getting into some type of workspace salvation. I'm not saying anything like that whatsoever. I'm saying that there is a diligence to our walk in relationship with Christ. There is. It's hard. If you would come to my house and you would bring donuts to our house, and you would set the donuts on our kitchen counter, it would take no diligence for those donuts to disappear. I know my kids. I know my wife. It would take no problem. It takes no diligence for my boys to play electronics. It takes no diligence in any way whatsoever. It takes diligence to get up to go to school. It takes diligence to clean the house. It takes no diligence to sleep in. I'm kind of preaching to the choir here a little bit because you guys are here. But it takes no diligence to skip church. It takes no diligence to not read. It takes no diligence to not worship. It takes no diligence to not witness. Those things take no diligence in any way whatsoever. But it takes diligence to be that man or woman of God that does those things. And that's why it's saying in 23, keep your heart with all diligence. Because the writer of Proverbs is saying through the Spirit, it's not easy. If you were going to pick all the world religions and make them equal, and I'm not saying you should, Christianity would be at the bottom of the list. Christianity, the path is narrow. The path is difficult, and few will find it. See, Christianity has said you are born again and saved by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. All Him. While I was still a sinner, His grace saved me. While I was still a worthless Whatever. He said, I still love you. Heaven is full of a perfect God, and heaven is perfect. Since God is perfect, he cannot let imperfection in. I am imperfect. I am a sinner. So therefore, it took a perfect sacrifice, a perfect substitution to take my place, and that's what Jesus Christ died on the cross for. Jesus Christ is the perfect substitution sacrifice for my sin that I can't take care of. So now perfect heaven, perfect God, doors are open to an imperfect man because now the perfection of Jesus Christ covers my sin. That's what communion is representing. As we take a look at the bread, it represents the body that was broken for us, that took the pain and the punishment of sin that we should have taken. We take a look at the juice that represents the blood. The blood, the only currency accepted in heaven for the payment of sins. The blood of Jesus. That perfection is only opened through a perfect sacrifice, which is Christ. Since I have been born again and saved in Jesus, not by works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2 8 and 9, I stop and I say, Lord, since you so changed me on the inside, I want to live for you on the outside. Since you have made such an internal, eternal change in my life, I want the external to be for your glory. It's not that I'm saving myself, it's not that I'm making myself more lovable in God. I'm stopping and saying, Lord, I want to keep my heart on you with all diligence. Because I realize that's where life is at. That's where joy is at. That's where peace is at. Because that's all that matters. And Lord, I want that. That's why, verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And all you're getting, get understanding. And this world that I live in wants to pull me off. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead, your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. One of my favorite movies, we have a version of Pilgrim's Progress. I just absolutely love that movie. Love it. And there's this one path where Christians walking down the road and they see the shortcut. And he has been told, stay on the path. He sees the shortcut and what does he do? He doesn't keep his eyes straight ahead. He doesn't keep his eyelids looking before you. He does not ponder the path of his feet. And he departs to the right and to the left. That's the truth of what we live in today. The Lord says, I have made a path for you. It is broad. It is wide. It is safe. When you run, you will not stumble. And that path is Jesus Christ. But you have to choose to walk on that path. And I want that wisdom to do that. And so what I want to do here is we get ready to finish and get ready to partake of communion. I want us just to think. Like it says, it says in Corinthians there, we're supposed to examine ourselves. We're supposed to stop and take a look and let the Lord speak to our hearts. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Psalm 139, search me, try me, see if there's any iniquity in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. It's good for us to stop and say, Lord, have I made this the right path for me? Have you, verse 7, made wisdom the principal thing in your life? The wisdom of God. Have you then, verse 4, decided to retain that wisdom, hold fast to it, keep it, or are you forgetting it and forsaking it? Verse 14 and 15, is there a path of wicked, a way of evil that you knew to avoid, to not travel on or turn away from it? 21 through 23, is it in your heart? Is it life to those who find them? Is it health to your flesh? Have you kept it in your heart with all diligence? These are the questions that we need to ask. Because this is the reality. This is the only thing. If it tells me in verse 7 that wisdom is the principal thing, I love it when God keeps it simple. The most important thing is knowing the wisdom of God, God's way of thinking. And that's the way I want to live my life. So as we get ready, go ahead, Bob, to get ready to partake of communion, we have an open communion policy out here at church, meaning we don't have church membership. Communion is open to those that are here today. And we're going to bring kids in so parents will sit with you. We leave it to you to see if they're old enough to understand and grasp communion. Now, there's two questions I always ask before we partake of communion. First off, number one, are you saved? Are you born again in Christ? Remember, born again, it carries the idea that you have been born a second time a brand new person. You've gone from caterpillar to butterfly, metamorphosis, right there. And as I mentioned earlier, a perfect God and a perfect heaven that cannot look upon sin. The only way I can have those doors open for me is if I have a perfect substitution for me and that's who Jesus Christ is. My sins are covered through him. That is what is represented in the bread, the body that took the pain and punishment. That's represented in the blood here, the juice, the only currency accepted in heaven for the payment of sins. And number two, examining yourself. If you're here this morning and you claim to be a Christian, examine yourself. Paul wrote in Corinthians, test yourselves. Ask yourself, am I doing those things? Lord, I know I'm yours, but am I? Am I making wisdom the principal thing? Am I retaining it? Am I walking in the path of evil, in the way of the wicked? Am I doing any of these things? Because, Lord, I want it to be for you and your glory. We're created. We're created for his glory. And, Lord, I want to glorify you in all that I say and all that I do. So as we get ready, as the kids are going to be coming in here in a little bit, worship team's going to come forward. We're going to have a quick time of prayer, and then Renee's going to come up and actually lead you in communion. And while Renee's leading you in communion, I'm going to be over here in the prayer area. If you have anything you want to pray about, as that's going on, I encourage you to come up and pray. Uh, Dawn, if you want to come up with me, my wife will come up and pray with us as well there.